Well, good morning, everyone, um, and welcome to the people online at home. Uh, today, we're going to commence a, a new series, which we're calling Foundation Series. Uh, but before we commence, I'd like you to just consider how unique the Bible is. The Bible is like any other book. It's the unique word of God to his people through all generations. It's one message, however, comes to us over thousands of years through dozens of authors spanning many genres. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years by about 40 different people. The oldest book was dated to about 1400 BC. What ties the 66 books of the Bible together are the multiple threads or themes that begin in the first pages of the Bible. They developed through the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus Christ before finding their conclusion in the new creation that's promised to us. When we read these threads together, we discover the fabric of God's eternal message, central message, the holiness and very nature of God is revealed to us so that we might pursue a right relationship with him. When we examine one of these threads or themes that passes through the Bible, it's, uh, we see it develop throughout the Bible. It's called biblical theology. It's the art of reading the Bible from beginning to end with respect to the, the various contexts and vocabularies. Uh, we see the themes develop through all the scripture rather than in the single passage of one book or, or from one author. Now that might seem a, a bit heavy to start the year off with, but going into biblical theology. So to better explain it, um, we'll cut to a short video that uses an analogy of the, the Harry Potter series to illustrate how reading the Bible with a biblical theology approach can lead to a better appreciation, understanding, of uh, God's word and indeed have his character revealed to us uh, through the Bible. So thanks Dennis. Harry Potter helps illustrate biblical theology. I'm being serious. My wife and I loved listening to Jim Dale read the seven books in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. We think it's just masterful. We enjoyed it so much the first time that we read the books again two years later, and the timing was just right. But something happened that we didn't anticipate, though I should have anticipated it since I'm a professor of biblical theology. The first time we read the books, we focused on the book's storyline. Who are the characters? What happened? What will happen next? But when we read the series for the second time, we were reading it differently because we already knew the characters and we already knew what would happen. But that didn't spoil the second reading. It actually made it better. We loved our second reading right out of the gate in book one. We immediately started making thematic connections the second time through that we missed the first time. We kept stopping to say things like, did you hear that? I totally missed that the first time we read this. J.K. Rowling picks up on that theme again in book three and develops it further in books five and seven. In other words, we started tracing thematic trajectories from book one all the way through to book seven. We started marveling at how well J.K. Rowling packaged the seven books as a coherent series with an overarching theme and many motifs that she masterfully develops throughout the storyline. That's a taste of what it's like to read the Bible over and over again. Once you've read it once, you already know the overall plotline, but you can't reread it enough. 
There's always more to see, more connections to make, and that's what biblical theology focuses on, making organic salvation historical connections with the whole canon, especially regarding how the Old and New Testaments integrate. So there you have it. So hopefully that will explain what we'll be launching into with this foundation series. Uh, as the inspired word of God, the scriptures in the Bible are infallible as originally given and are authority for all matters of faith and conduct. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 20 to 21 also says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For the prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in this foundation series, we'll consider eight such threads or, or themes. God, creation, temple, judgment in the exile, covenant, sacrifice, spirit and Messiah. Each thread will be covered over two weeks. The first week will be a reading of a relevant story from early in the Bible. Uh, it will simply be a narrative such as what we'll have today in a similar way to the way we covered the book of Acts last year. In the second week, a speaker will examine the thread and from the point of its inception in scripture in the Old Testament, through its key developments in the narrative, uh, through to the fulfilment in Jesus Christ and the conclusion of the new creation. So from this series, uh, we hope that the studies that we undertake will help one to, uh, just to inspire a deeper worship of God and appreciation for the wisdom of his word that might rouse the confidence in the uniquely God-breathed nature of scripture and its consistent message. It's also to highlight the importance and the relevance of the Old Testament in relation to the New Testament and hopefully further equip our church family of believers with a biblical worldview that can withstand the competing truth claims that we often hear today. So let's launch into it. We'll commence our reading today, which is Exodus chapter 32 to 34. Um, it begins, we'll, we'll start this series by examining God and Jordan will be following up with us next week to, to expand on what we read today. So Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods, we will go who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out, out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. 
So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bound out to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, that I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make descendants as numerous as stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance. Then the Lord relented. It did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went back down the mountainside with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf of the people that the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, answered Aaron. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewellery, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughingstock to all their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come with me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword on his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to another, each killing his brother and friends and neighbour. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and your brothers, and he has blessed you on this day. I'll just take a, a pause here and just 
Uh, we think back to what the Levites, uh, the Levites did there. In Genesis 34, uh, Simeon and Levi uh, were excessive in avenging the, the defilement of their sister Dina and uh, went into town and killed all the males. And it was a, an excessive uh, reaction to, to what had been done to their sister. So in Genesis 49, we see that Jacob curses them uh, while he was on his deathbed uh, because of their fierce anger and uh, cruel wrath. But here we see now that uh, the Levites have been blessed for the, um, obeying what uh, the Lord asked, asked them to do. So this tells me that um, if we have full repentance and complete turn away around from our past sins, change our ways, that uh, we are able to be saved. It also tells us that our God is a, a forgiving God. I'll continue now. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites dripped off their elements at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of the meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the, the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his friend, his young aide, and Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, 
Teach me your ways so I may know, know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Where my, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now one thing when I was preparing for this was just pondering as a bit uh, confused where when Moses went to the tent of the meeting, he discusses how he's speaking face to face with Moses. But then when Moses asked to show him uh, his glory, um, the Lord said that he cannot see his face for no one may see his face and live. Seems like a, a bit of a contradiction. Uh, but for and sort of things to contradict each other, um, let me go say, in mathematical, ter ma mathematical terms, you might say that if um, one equals minus one, well, it can do in some circumstances. So it may seem as a contradiction, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, for something to be a, a true contradiction, it has to be contradicting, or the two components contradicting each other at the same time. Um, and they have to be in the same, in the context or the same relationship with each other. And if you look at where, in verse 11, they said that uh, Moses spoke face to face. And then in verse 23, or 22, uh, they said that they cannot speak or speak to the Lord face to face and live. Um, we see that in verses 17 to 19, that although Moses had a deep relationship with God, uh, when this had this meeting uh, with God, he's his relationship has gone up to another level. He's gone to another level of intimacy with God. Um, and so he is more acquainted with God and speaks, I suppose, different subjects that he might not have previously spoke to about God. Uh, but still, in our human feebleness and lack of comprehension, uh, we still fall well short of God's glory. And to see all his glory would still have been beyond Moses, and that's why uh, he cannot see uh, God face to face in, in this uh, situation as he requested. We'll continue with the new stone tablets. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out the two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets which he broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai, 
Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiselled out two stone tablets like the first one and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, and carried out the two, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome it is, is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I have commanded you today. I'll drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or there will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you come, some of their, son, their daughters, when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat the bread made without yeast, as I have commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. The offspring of the womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labour, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the ploughing season and harvest you must rest. Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the Sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out the nations before you and enlarge your territory. And no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord, your God. Do not offer the blood, the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. 
Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating, drinking or eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because of his spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses with his, radiant, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So that's our reading for this week. Uh, just one final observation was that uh, for Moses to fast um, 40 days and 40 nights, uh, so go without bread and drinking water and to come down with his face um, glowing radiantly. It was obviously a, a supernatural event that occurred with him up on Mount Sinai in the, in the presence of the Lord. So we'll have Jordan in next week to further expand on, on God throughout the Bible uh, in the following week. Thank you.